You're listening to Spice Radio, 12 to AM's The Morning Buzz, and we're talking about how BC's energy future. Will we have enough energy production to meet our needs into the long term? We are now speaking to Margareta Dovgal, Managing Director at Resource Work Society. Margareta, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Good morning, Karen. As always, really glad to be here. Now let's get right into it. What are British Columbia's energy needs, and how are we currently meeting them? The term energy actually covers a lot of things. Uh, whether it's the electricity we produce here in BC, largely with hydroelectricity, although not exclusively, uh, the electricity we import from the United States, uh, or the natural gas products we produce for both domestic use and export. And those are the things baked into that as well. Uh, examples include metallurgical coal production that uh, enables uh, products like steel to be made. Uh, but let's think of it this way. Let's say our listener is the average energy user in British Columbia. Here's your energy diet as a direct consumer of energy products. You wake up in the morning and maybe you turn the heat on. Uh, your home could be powered, uh, your home can be heated with electricity. Uh, fairly clear, though, that it is heated uh, with natural gas. Uh, you turn on your coffee maker, you uh, brush your teeth, there's water running down the pipes, uh, hot water that's being heated in some form through energy you consume. Uh, you're getting food uh, for your breakfast that uh, is brought to you from some distance, sometimes relatively close, sometimes from half a world away. And uh, chances are fossil fuels were used in the uh, production of that food and especially the transportation of it to get it to your front step. You turn on your uh, your, your stove to make breakfast. Uh, it could be it's natural gas that's powering that. Uh, it could be electricity. And as you go about your day, you drive to work, you take the bus, there's energy inputs that are going into enabling you to do that. And throughout the entirety of your day, you're using a lot of energy. Uh, but let's consider as well that uh, there's also major energy users out there. It could be your employer. It could be services you rely on. Uh, if you go to a school or a hospital, uh, you know, there's energy involved in not only powering those operations, but actually paying the bills uh, for government services uh, to supply services to British Columbians. Um, and, you know, your employer is probably using uh, electricity and uh, fossil fuel energies uh, in the production of goods and services. Uh, you multiply all of these things that your average consumer uh, needs in, in a given day throughout the year, and you have a pretty hefty chunk of our total energy needs. Um, and then, of course, we're also exporting energy products to the world that themselves are energy-intensive in their production. Uh, that's a lot of stuff. And across the entire economy, the availability and the cost of these products, whether they come in the form of electricity or fuel, can ultimately make it or break it our households, and our businesses. Uh, economy as a whole relies on energy being ample, easily accessed, uh, and secure. We don't want to have circumstances where we just don't have enough of it when we need it. And the reality is, is in the last year, due to drought conditions in the northeast of British Columbia, we have been importing electricity from the United States at an unprecedented rate. Uh, we're in the midst of finalizing construction on uh, our first major hydroelectric dam uh, in quite some time, the Site C Dam in the northeast of British Columbia. Uh, that is going to help a little bit with the issue that uh, we're dealing with. Uh, but uh, recent uh, research from the North American Electric Reliability Corporation is saying that British Columbia is facing increased energy risks in 2026 because forecasted demand is going to increase and natural gas fire generation is retiring. Um, so that's a real concern. And, uh, the chair of our initiative, uh, the Energy Futures Initiative, Barry Penner, um, is, is really quite concerned. He's saying that, quote, if our energy system ceases to be reliable, 
we could find ourselves facing an energy crisis, one that could have a significant impact on BC residents and businesses alike. So that's certainly something we want to dive into a little bit more as we proceed with the Energy Futures campaign. And what are you hoping to achieve with this campaign? Well, basically, we want to reach members of the public to better understand their priorities. We have an inkling of what those are. People want reliability and they want affordability. Um, But there's a lot of options on the table. And we want to ensure that there is a substantive fact base to the conversation about this. Um, It comes down to a series of alternatives, fundamentally. And we're going to be publishing uh, a few research pieces in the next couple of months that dive into these issues, starting with one on the state of energy in British Columbia that's going to be coming out this month. Um, I've been really, really excited to be doing this work with my colleagues. Uh, we've been in this space for quite some time. So we're looking at the, the whole picture here. We're trying to understand how the implications of choices that have already been made about British Columbia's energy system uh, in, have influenced where we are today. Uh, and also understanding what choices are still ahead. Uh, some of these have been baked into policy. Some of these have been proposed. And some of these are just being entertained or considered. Uh, but it's a cha- changing landscape. The, D.C. government understands that there's a lot of stuff at play right now. Uh, world conditions, as far as the economy and security, uh, geopolitical uh, certainty is a little bit different than it was even a decade ago. Um, so with these factors having changed with the urgency to address climate change having also uh, really, really increased in recent years, um, there's a lot currently at play. And whatever choices we make are fundamentally going to affect how your average energy consumer in British Columbia or your average resident in B.C. fares, uh, their prosperity, their quality of life, their ability to get a high-paying job, ability to enjoy good, well-funded services across the entirety of, uh, of government. So uh, these are all things that we're thinking a lot about. And hopefully we can represent these choices in a way that makes sense for senior decision-makers uh, in government as they look at some of the issues on the table. And could you elaborate on those choices and how you see it playing out? Well, I think in some sense it does boil down to what kind of economy we want to have into the future. You know, we have enjoyed for almost the entirety of our existence an economy that has been uh, largely supported by natural resource development for the world. Uh, that's the base of British Columbia's strength. That's uh, in large part, you know, it's not just our democratic institutions and, uh, you know, good, uh, good system of government, um, but it's the fundamental prosperity base um, that has enabled uh, Canada and Canadians to have this quality of life. Um, as the world has changed, as technologies have evolved, as our priorities with things like climate change have changed as well, uh, there's, there's been a shift in this, but the fundamentals remain true. Uh, we rely on the production of forestry products, natural gas products, uh, transportation of uh, oil products, uh, and minerals and mining to ensure that we have a quality of life that the rest of the world envies. Uh, It's a big part of why my parents immigrated to Canada and to B.C. in particular. Um, So from my perspective, um, understanding the role of our foundational natural resource industries is really, really key here. You know, where do we want to see that prosperity coming from is changing. And there's many other types of innovations and products that uh, really cool B.C. businesses are offering to the world. They're employing people. They're creating opportunities for communities, including First Nations, that are really, really keen. Uh, to uh, get uh, more involved in the economy, and that's certainly happening. Um, But we do need to understand where we want to land in the long term. And that also relates to this essential question on energy. What do we think our energy needs are going to be? What is reasonable, uh, as understood by voters, by British Columbians? um, And what sort of policies will enable that? 
Um, so this could come down to things like how do we uh, generate power? You know, do we need more production? It seems like the experts are saying that there's not going to be enough. Are we comfortable with uh, uh, importing more and more from the United States, particularly if the source of those imports is not as clean as our own hydroelectric? Are we comfortable looking at alternatives? Uh, you know, what is this going to mean for major consumers, uh, particularly those who are producing energy, both for domestic use and for exports? Uh, you know, these industries uh, need and consume a lot of electricity. Uh, how much do we want to mandate uh, in that shift? How much do we want to enable these uh, producers to actually have access to uh, new electricity uh, capacity and uh, new transmission lines to get it where it's needed? Um, those are just a few of the key pieces. It's a very complicated puzzle, but um, I think going through this process at this time is pretty key. Uh, we, we're in a fundamentally different environment than we were in before the pandemic, and um, we're also seeing big changes in the world. So I'd like to really, really encourage everyone who has thoughts on this, who's interested in engaging with this, to uh, head over to the ResourceWorks website and to uh, sign up for updates on the Energy Futures Initiative. One final question, Margareta. As the LNG Canada project reaches completion on the northwest coast of BC, what's next for the region? Yeah, it's been uh, up to this point the largest private sector investment in Canadian history. And uh, that's a combination of the LNG Canada export terminal, uh, which is taking uh, British Columbia produced natural gas uh, that's carried through the coastal gas link pipeline. And it's going to be liquefying it uh, for export to Asia. Very, very large investments created uh, thousands of uh, great jobs that actually didn't exist before. Uh, there's going to be lots of operational jobs as well, uh, huge benefits for uh, First Nations, particularly the Hydro Nation that has been a big supporter of this project. Um, but now everyone's looking for solutions for where this workforce is going to go. Uh, a lot of jobs created during construction as well as construction of Site C, uh, that big dam I mentioned earlier, um, and the Trans Mountain expansion project as well is coming to completion, uh, you know, going through the southern interior of BC uh, and into the lower mainland. Um, so all of this is creating a bit of an unmet need. We need major projects and big investments to drive economic activity and growth, not just employment in this province. And I'm really, really glad to see that there are two major things uh, also in this space in LNG that are currently on the docket. And they are both indigenous-led projects. Peter LNG uh, is the Heisla Nation's uh, 51% owned uh, liquefied natural gas uh, export terminal uh, that they're planning pretty close to where LNG Canada is uh, right now. And uh, that's going to be a major driver of continued employment and opportunity and revenue generation uh, for those communities uh, into the long term. And uh, further north, the Niska Nation uh, is seriously leading into uh, their first foray into LNG exports. And the project is going to be called Silosum's LNG. Um, the first one, Cedar LNG, uh, will be supported largely by that existing pipe, uh, Coastal Gas Link, that's nearing completion. Uh, and Cedar LNG is actually going to require an additional pipe to be laid uh, through the north to, to get the product where it's needed. Um, those projects alone, I think, will be significant drivers of, of value and added opportunity. And overall, for the province, they're really good news. They're enabling they will be enabling BC to continue to get into this growing LNG game. We see this term transition fuel used everywhere internationally right now. There's huge recognition of its potential to help decarbonize economies around the world, but especially in Asia, and to enable a global transition away from coal. And as we further roll into our efforts to combat climate change, um, you know, demand for all fuels will, will go down in this form. 
But while the demand is there, there is this opportunity for BC to take advantage and to ensure that the people who have seen life-changing family-supporting benefits from their work on the major projects currently being built, uh, ensuring that those people will have opportunities into the long term. So that's certainly something to be optimistic about. Margareta, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. You take care. You too, Megan.